This is the Fatherhood Unlocked podcast, and my name is Dan Doty. I'm a father of three, an outdoorsman, and a meditator, and supporting dads to be the best version of themselves is my highest calling. Fatherhood is the biggest rite of passage in a man's life. It's our biggest opportunity to grow up, to wake up, and to learn who we actually are. I believe that a father's love is the biggest missing vitamin on the planet. This podcast is intended to be a lightning rod to call men to action, to create community, and to set a new tone and standard for what fatherhood means. Welcome to Fatherhood Unlocked. Today I'm here in conversation with Dedon Bruner. Dedon is a man from the Washington, D.C. area. He's the host of the Dad Genes podcast and the founder of a project called On Fathering. Dedon is a regular dude who raises his daughter as a single dad and has just an incredible heart-based story to tell and has really just gone to bat for fathers around him and across the world in his own way, on his own time, and I consider him a, a really remarkable example of what it looks like to be not only a good dad, to be very commu- but, but to be very community-oriented and action-oriented in terms of making a difference. This conversation kind of runs all over the place. We hear about Dedon's life as a dad, but also the, the why behind he has put his own time and energy in supporting other fathers. And honestly, I was put into contact with Dedon from a mutual friend, and it was just one of those connections when I initially met Dedon, there he told me a story about something that changed his life, and I won't ruin it by telling it to you now, uh, but it was just so simply and deeply moving, and to see him and hear him tell the story of taking action on something that was so meaningful to him regarding fatherhood really moved me, and I'm super excited to share this episode. You can find Dedon on Instagram at onfathering and also at justdids, J-U-S-T-D-I-D-D-S. I hope you really enjoy this conversation. Before we get to it, though, I have a big announcement, and it, it actually is a big one, and it feels really exciting to share. We are announcing this week, we have announced uh, that there is registration open for what is intended to be the main community backbone of Fatherhood Unlocked. It's called Father's Fire. It is an online men's group that is just going to live on from now here henceforth. The intention here is that this is a community that adapts and evolves and grows and becomes a truly robust and you know very, very generative community, place of learning, place of connection and brotherhood, place of accountability, and just a, uh, a network and movement of dads across the land, across the oceans, across the world, however, whatever. I'm not trying to forecast any massive dramatic size here, but I've been putting a lot into this. And so let me tell you just a little bit about it. We're starting out with an online model. And what's going to happen is any man who joins the crew, who joins the Father's Fire, is going to be put in a home group with five other dads. These guys will be your ride or die, your crew, your buddies. You will become friends and brothers and confidants, and these will be your guys. Each group, each home group, will have a trained fatherhood unlock facilitator attached to you and with you. He will also become one of your guys, but you will be able to be professionally expertly guided through this process. So we're going to meet a couple times a month as a whole group. 
every small group, every home group, we're all going to get together on a Zoom. I'm going to be there to talk and teach a little bit and guide some themes and prompt some questions. And then everyone will break out in your small group. So the reason this is happening this way, the reason I've designed it this way, is that I've been both running and participating and studying men's groups for about 14 years now. And this model is one that I intend that it gives the best of all possible worlds. First of all, you're going to have a large widespread community to draw from, to make connections from, to network in, all of that good stuff. You're going to have the best that I can offer. I'm going to bring my best in a very concentrated form. You'll have access to this platform and to me and to all of the things happening here at Fatherhood Unlocked. But then you're also going to have what is fundamentally the most important and helpful thing in a man's life of growth, which is a small, committed, ongoing men's group. And it's going to be professionally facilitated, right? So we're basically cutting off a bunch of the possible issues that tend to trip up the, the benefit and goodness of men's groups. Now, in the future, I envision this to go more in person and all this stuff. But for right now, this is the way that I have chosen to go forward. There's still a lot of kinks to work out over the future, but I'm running a beta, a beta version of this program for the next three months. We start June 29th. You can see all the specific details at dandoty.com slash Father's Fire. Go to my homepage, dandoty.com, and you'll find Father's Fire very easily. And it's it's a very simple it's a very simple process to get in. There's no application. If you wanna if you wanna be in, you're in. And then if you come in and you're a psychopath, we'll have to deal with you then. But uh, everyone is welcome. Literally everyone is welcome. And I am just absolutely over the moon excited about this. I I we can start small, we can start big, we can start medium, whatever it is. But this is deeply, deeply important to me. This is not only thematically deeply important, but the the structure and design of this group. I've been running different versions of men's groups and cohorts and educational models and everything for many years. This is bringing the best of what I know and the best of what I've experienced and applying it to this incredible, wildly important job of being a father. Men's groups have fundamentally changed my life and supported me along the way. They, since I first started being in a men's group, they have been intrinsically a part of every professional move I've ever made. For example, in my 20s, I became the producer and director of a, of a hit TV show called Meat Eater. And why did I get that job? How did I get into that? Because I sat in a men's group with, with a director at that same company and he invited me in. When I launched the company Everyman, which was fundamentally my dream, why did I do that? Because a guy that I sat in a men's group with for years pushed me and pushed me and pushed me until we launched it together. This is an incredible tool. Men and fathers are lonely. We are alone. We are missing connection. We don't have the friends. It's wild. I was just thinking about it this morning. I've literally written articles, big articles, about how men can build and maintain friendships. And I realized that since COVID happened and the last couple of years of all the strangeness went down, it's been hard for me. It's been hard for me to do that. We moved across the country and I found myself more isolated than I think I've ever been in my whole life. And so what did I do? I started a local men's group and it started to change. You don't have to start your own men's group. You can join us. We are going to be 
deeply looking into and locking into not just healing, not just your feelings. We will go there. I promise you we will go there. I believe it's critical for fathers to be able to access their inner world, to be not repressing everything that they want and feel. You need to have sort of a fluid, open, workable inner game. But we're also going to be deeply working on the outer game. We all know it. Like it is not a time to sit on our tails. It's not a time to doubt ourselves. When we have little ones, when we have older ones, it is an opportunity to truly step up. And it doesn't, again, not in a dramatic big hero way, but we need to be engaged. And this group will help you be engaged. It will help you hone your skills. It will help you surrender to what you need to surrender to. It is. It may sound like a big magical thing the way I talk about it, but that's not because I'm blowing it up. That's because I'm being descriptive about what these groups can do for men. That is why I've chosen this entire career path. When I first started sitting in men's groups, my first question was, why the fuck does this work so well? What is it about this that makes it so helpful and so powerful? The second question that I got obsessed with was, why does it seem like this is weird? <laughs> why is it hard to talk about that? That was a long time ago. That was eight years ago. Today is 2023. The landscape of the world has changed. The tone of humanity has changed. Masculinity and manhood and fatherhood is changing right as we are here. I do not have, we do not have a singular answer on how to move forward, but we have some basic first principles to be working off of. And those are that connection is primary, we're better together, and that we both need to soften and learn to relate and be intimate and present. And we also need to have our shit together and, and have a sense of warriorship. And that's a word I've been super scared to, not scared, but I've never liked that word very much, especially in the context of men's work. It always felt cheesy. It always felt a little bit off. But but lately I've had a I had a little change of heart and you know I was doing a, a call, a community call, had about 50 guys on a call last week really inquiring into the topic of masculinity and fatherhood together. And one of the things that was coming out of this conversation was recognizing that the role of fatherhood today it's it's simply become more complex, right? Traditionally, if we think about it, you know, the role of protector and provider, that that's sort of like the core of of what the traditional father role, at least from where we can sit in our culture today. But the reality is that is things are so much more complex now. There's so much more complexity to the role, to our lives, to our own identities, to everyone's identity. And so maybe we still are protectors. Maybe we still are providers. Actually, I'd take the maybe out of there. We are. And it's a different world. There's more complexity. So what do we need to protect from? It's not saber-toothed tigers. It hasn't mostly been invading war parties from other places. That could change. But it's more subtle. What do we need to protect our kids from? Toxins, crap in the environment, social media, our own trauma, our own sort of stuckness in the way we're modeling. I mean, that's just the begin. I'm just riffing on the, the very beginnings of what we're protecting our kids from. And the real question to me right now is what are we helping them grow into, right? How are we fathering in this moment in time, in, these, in this period, in this historic moment, 
where the future looms as intensely unknowable. Our world is not static. Things are not calm. And we are here for our children in this moment. And how are we going to do it? What are we going to do? How are we going to step up? A huge part of what I'm passionate about today is that we need to mobilize. We need to not be stuck. We can't sit here with our butts on our hands, wondering and fearing and being stuck on our phone and just not doing anything. And I'm not talking about saving the world. I'm talking about engaging. I'm talking about being fully awake and engaged in our lives and maybe our communities. And how can we be examples? What does it look like to be a leader today? What does it look like to be a good dad, a good community member, a good partner. You get to figure that out for yourself. This group, your father's fire, is going to help you do that and it's going to support you to step in. That's what this is all about. All are welcome. Please check it out, dandody.com. Last thing I want to say is the men that, that I have to lead these small groups are utterly fantastic fathers and wonderful facilitators. And right on the back of launching this first cohort, this first group, it's not a cohort model per se, but we're doing this first three months just to get a a beta round going. Right on the back of launching that, I'm going to be announcing a Fatherhood Unlocked facilitator training. And that's the beginning of what I see as this, as raising an army of dads who are there to support themselves, other dads, and the communities around them. And I have some exciting ideas for that, and we'll see where it all goes. But for now, Father's Fire opens June 29th, and I just would be absolutely uh, grateful and excited and mobilized by you being there. So pass that on. Please share. And now we're going to get to the conversation with my friend, Dedon Bruner. Welcome, man. Really excited to have you on the show. Yeah, glad to be here. Two questions to start. Where are you today? And tell us how much you love. Tell us about your love for your kid or kids. Ah, I forget okay. if it's one or two. Yeah, no worries. Uh, I'm working from home. I'm in Washington, D.C. Uh, and that's the easy part. I, I'm crazy about my kid. Uh, I got a 12-year-old. Her name is Ella. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you how crazy I am about her because I realized that the phrase in my feelings, I've been in my feelings a lot because at 12, I won't say she's pushing away, but she's spreading her wings in a way that I'm not quite ready to like loosen my embrace, you know? And so I'm really, really trying to figure out how to, to love her the same, but, but to, but to operate differently so that she can kind of, figure things out, trip, fall, get up, uh, realize that she doesn't need me to dust her off. And, and me realize that, that she doesn't need me to dust her off. Yeah. Um, but it's, but it's tough and it's tough. And I, and I find myself having these swings when she pushes back because she's not pushing back against me personally. It's just, Hey, you've given me these skills. You've given me these tools. Let me use them. Yeah. And, and, and uh, I'm struggling with that. I'm struggling with that, but uh, I, I love her. I, I love her very much. And I, and I promise that I'll figure it out. Hopefully probably right in time for her to transition again and me to go through this <laughs> same experience. Uh, but yeah, that's where we are right now. 
And uh, that's uh, that's actually really helpful for me to hear because my oldest right now is about to turn seven. So I have, you know, five years until until that point. But tell me about becoming a dad. Let's 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 get a little more context. Let's let's get to know you oh, a little bit more first. Okay. Tell me about becoming a father. Who were you before? What yeah. was it like? And how did it change you as a human? Okay. Um, California native. And love everything about California, came to school in DC uh, in 94. And first thoughts were great city. I love politics. I uh, went to Howard University, loved it. This is a great city. Wouldn't want to raise a kid here. Mm. Great college town. Didn't want to raise a kid here. Mm-hmm. Fast forward uh, to 2010, and I'm going to be a father. And I'm still living in DC. I worked on Capitol Hill, so really fast-paced environment, and I worked in an office. And it, it's it's amazing to to, to kind of encapsulate this experience. But there were three dads in the office. Mm. There was my my boss, who was the legislative director, older black guy. Um, there was a legislative assistant who was an even older white guy and we had a military liaison who was an active military uh, uh active in the military but yeah. also worked in our congressional office and and they were three very different types of dads so the the active military uh-huh. guy at any point in time he could get called away from his wife and his three kids yeah and then you had the older white guy who's a vietnam vet who he and his wife had just adopted uh, and he was the, the senior statesman in the office, but they had just adopted uh, two kids who they didn't even speak the same language. Whoa. Uh, and the my legislative director, the older black guy, he had three kids, the oldest who had some cognitive challenges, and the but all three of them were in high school at the same time, and a wife who was, she's passed away now, but she was sick. And so these three dads who had these really extremely polar opposite circumstances, when they talked about fatherhood, they all lit up. And it didn't matter if if it was uh, the guy talking about his kid who he doesn't exactly understand, but how they play these different games, Uh, the the military uh, guy who was talking about the spending the time with his son and his daughters yeah. and how how important it was because it could get short at any time. And the the other dad who would talk about the cognitive challenges that his kid had, but how they had breakthroughs. And this was a time, and I, at that time I was 35. This is when I found out that I was going to be a father. Okay. I'm completely scared. Right. And and so what better place to be in than this environment where these guys who from different walks of life, different ages, uh, different stations and different stages, kids with different challenges, different parenting scenarios. And all of them were just in fire, on fire about being dads. And so they wrapped their arms around me and, and held me up at a time when I, I was afraid. Yeah. And so just the, the beauty of, of sharing these stories, um, was amazing. And I knew that when I became a father, I wanted to include that in my journal, in my journey. I wanted to tell stories. I wanted to share stories. Um, 
And so the, those are the circumstances under, under which my, my daughter Ella was born, just in, in a very loving, supportive environment, uh, supported by, by fathers. And that's something yeah. that I've seen. Um, yeah, and, that that's really, really quite awesome that you just sort of informally had a, had a group of dads kind of wrap their arms around you and support you in that time. I'm curious. I'm just curious. Were those guys generally communicative and warm? I mean, they must have. There must have been good relationships there to start yeah. with. Yeah. So the thing about working in a congressional office, they're really, really small, okay. and you work really long hours. So okay. all the all the narratives are stripped away, and and you're just people. So if you're if you're a bad person, it's a really terrible environment. If you're a good person, it's a really good environment to be around other other people who are like-minded. And so, yeah, when you got to work late hours and somebody says, you know, I got to get home or let me tell you what my kid did the other day, you know, it, that stuff was just, um, it was great to be in such a small tight knit space with, with guys uh, that I didn't think I had a whole bunch in common with. Uh, but yeah, you kind of had a dad's group. You kind of had a men's group sort of informally in a. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And so it was, it was a really good environment. And, and actually, that boss uh, is my daughter's godfather today. I said, even though I left the office, I, I was like, I got to take a piece of this with me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's, that's an amazing way to start. How, um, tell us, give us a snapshot of meeting, meeting your daughter. Like, what was, what was that like? Wow. So, um, <laughs> best laid plans. So, my daughter was born in February of 2011. February 2010, DC had a huge snowstorm and everything was closed. So I'm completely paranoid. I, I, I got <laughs> bags packed. I got cards packed. I got a bag in the car just in case we can't get the bag out the house. Um, her mom went into labor and there was no snow. It was fine weather. We got to the hospital and we, <laughs> we, set up in the station everything is good and the the baby didn't come till 31 hours later and so all of that initial like all right we're good to go we're good to go it's like anything yet <laughs> no nothing all right um but when when she went uh, when it became closer to the time there were two nurses who were standing around and i don't i don't knock anybody in any profession but it's clear to them that childbirth was something they had seen a thousand times and that they were good at. And, mm -hmm. and they were talking amongst themselves. And, and I heard myself say, I know this is baby a hundred for you, but this is our first. Can you, can you please like just kind of engage? And I, um, I had a playlist ready. I had everything ready. All of it kind of went out the window. Um, my, my daughter was born. They, they did the whole, do you want to, to cut the umbilical cord thing? And I said, yeah. listen, I did my role already. <laughs> you let her, let her be handled by the pros, but she was, she was just so small and so fragile. I didn't want any part or any chance of, of messing that up. I just yeah. wanted her first moments to be um, completely enhanced that, that were capable um, because I still had questions. You know, I knew I had all the interest and desire in the world, but I didn't have a father growing up, so it was not clear to me what that journey would look like. And and just to bring it full circle, that same boss that I, I just told you about, mm -hmm. he, he showed up at the hospital 
with a copy of the New York Times, the Washington Post, and an Essence magazine. He said, well, my goddaughter uh, comes into the world. I need her to know what's going on in the world. And I need her to, to, to have just a marker of everything that was happening that day. And it's just that kind of thoughtfulness yeah. um, that and that kind of support that helped me really settle into to being um, a dad that try to try that tries to to mirror those same um, ideas and concepts and, and narratives. But she was she was gorgeous. Yeah, man. Um, I mean, what strikes me so far and <clears throat> from this conversation and our first conversation is what what was it that I mean, you were on it, right? I mean, it sounds like you were you were all the way prepared for the birth. You were fully engaged. Um, were you looking forward to this? I'm, I mean, I'm just curious. Like, what was what was like the pregame mindset yeah. you had? Because it, my, my sense so far, Dinan, is just that you're you fucking big hearted and and caring and if and and like not only caring about your child but also about fatherhood in general and sharing and. Where, where did it start? Was it that little group yeah. of dads or did it start before that? No, so I, I guess growing up as a kid without, without a dad, you tend to think when I have a kid, I'll do X. When I have a kid, I'll do Y. So you, you have this, you know, this treasure trove of things that you plan to do because you've romanticized this, this role that you're going to play uh, because it's the thing that you didn't have. Um, and, and not even judging that thing, um, but just I'd been thinking about it for so long. And, and I was, well, I don't know if I was older, but I was 34. Yeah. And <laughs> I remember saying this to my mother. I was home in California for my 30, uh, 33rd birthday. And I said, if I don't, if I'm not in a relationship um, that I think will, will yield children by the time I'm 35, because um, by that time I'd been married and divorced. I think I'm going to look into adopting. Wow. And the universe was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and uh, I met, I met a, a woman and we had a whirlwind relationship and we were expecting. So by the time I was uh, 35. <laughs> you got your wish. Your I, wish I, 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 got my, I got my wish. And it was one of those things. The universe was like, okay, you were talking real big and bad. Now you have this opportunity. What are you going to do? And, you know, I remember calling my mom scared and she said, you're 34. I was 21. Figure it out. <laughs> and so, um, and, and the reality is, yeah, you know, I, this is something I have been thinking about a lot. It was not, um, my daughter wasn't planned, um, but she was loved by, by, by both of her parents. And yeah. We, we were committed to, to doing the best and still are committed to doing the best by her. And as parents working together, even though we're not in a relationship anymore. Um, and really that's what, that's what, that's what it takes. I, I can tell you uh, two things that one thing I, that was good and one thing not so good. Um, I'm a, I love books. Yeah. And so one book I got was one of those, uh, what to expect when she's expecting like the yeah. dad version. Yeah, totally. And um, so her, her mom, her name is Tamika. Tamika was like maybe six or seven months pregnant at the time. And she was just miserable. And she's like running down her symptoms and all these ailments that she feels. And I'm reading in a chapter in the book where it says, yeah, she may be feeling this. And I'm like, look, it's all right here. This is going just according to plan. 
And I promise at the bottom of the page, it said, but don't tell her that. <laughs> and, she, <laughs> and she's like, she gives me that look like, yo, I'm going to shove that book. Where, where it is. Um, so that's, that's one part. Some, you don't always have to share the things that you learn. Yeah. Uh, but the other book experience was, was really helpful. Um, there's this book called Brain Rules for Baby, because I was committed to, I wanted to, to maximize my child's potential, whatever that meant. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, there are people who swear by certain diets and music and utero and all this stuff. And, and this book said, if you want a child that maximizes the, their potential, that is certainly possible, but it's not by these other things. Learning is a byproduct that only happens when other needs have been met. So mm. if you want a child that maximizes their potential, make sure that child is safe and feels yep. loved. You know, those, those, those Maslow hierarchies. Basics. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because, yeah. because if you don't feel safe, you're not going to learn French, you know, yeah. like your, your, your goals are on surviving. Your goals are on yeah. getting food and, and those things that are, that are more primary. And so I really took that to heart. You know, I wanted to make sure that we may not have the biggest home, but, but, but my daughter is safe at home. We may yeah. not have the best of everything, but my daughter knows that she's loved regardless of anything that, that she has or doesn't have. And so that book really helped me kind of push some of the clutter aside, which was yeah. good because, you know, I was petrified, but that really simplified it for me. No, I dig that, man. And that's, uh, um, I think, well, it's interesting, you know, for me, uh, when my kids came it kind of brought the sort of primal survival instincts to the front, right? You know, just that that sort of safety, that um, connection, love, those real basics. Um, for me, anyway, personally, it was they they be they kind of took over in a sense, and and I think that's really important. But I do know that there uh, there are dads out there that get in their head and are, are about the stuff and the details and the, you know, we got to get this thing and then that thing and that thing. And I mean, I think for most people, the, the basics come out, but I think that's, I don't think it can, we can probably, probably can't say that enough. Right. So what, one of the things that we do here, we have a, a course called fatherhood ready, which is uh, for men about to become dads or thinking about becoming dads. It's just kind of a primer, right. Kind of like a really deep dive primer. And um I'm going to make a note here. I think, I think that that maybe needs to be the first thing we say, what, what you just said, right? That those yeah, hierarchy of needs. Yeah. Because we, the stuff, there's always going to be something you don't have, yeah. you know, or, or a newer version. Uh, but if, if the kid doesn't, or the adult doesn't have those basic foundational things yeah. and that stuff just accumulates. Yeah, good point, right? I, I think yeah, it, the the tagline we we use here a lot is it, it's all for them, but it starts with me. And I, you're you're right, that safety, that basic safety and basic needs, um, need to be need to be there for the parents, right? And and I think a big oftentimes it's not always this formation, but a lot of times it's a father's, um, I don't know, it's partial responsibility to make sure that mama has. Uh, you know, that safety and that the, the basic needs kind of of everybody. I mean, I guess I think of that as one of the primary roles uh, for a dad is, is to be aware of the basic needs of everyone and to be not necessarily having to provide them all yourself. Right. But just seeing that they get met. Right. Yeah. No, I, I think your tagline is so important because even when we parent, 
a lot of times we don't realize how often we're parenting to the kid we were mm-hmm. as opposed to who the kid our, our, our child is, you know, or, or we're parenting to that thing that we didn't have or we're parenting from fear of that experience that we had as opposed to, you know, this thing that I'm afraid of, my kid isn't even, <laughs> like she's not even tracking that thing. Yeah. And it's it's funny how often we get in, I won't say get in the way, but but we put our finger on the scale and sometimes we don't even recognize it. So that that awareness um, that, that you talk about is, is so important. Yeah. Um, I'm going to jump ahead to something, but th- there's a lot of stuff in here, I think, th- that I'd like to continue talking about, just, just the hows and the whats of, of parenting and things. But, you know, I just wanted to say the, you know, when we first talked, th- there's just this automatic sort of respect and appreciation and connection I, I felt with you uh, because you have not only just been a father, but you have taken steps. You have a, a, a podcast called Dad Genes. You built a, a, a platform called On Fathering to share dad's stories. And um, what I'm just so curious. I mean, like, I, it's just, that's just, just basically that lights me up, right? So, I mean, I know you have a, a day job, you have a normal gig, and you have made it part of your, I don't know, your life to 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 go further and to speak out and to and to do more on this topic. I'm just curious about what started that for you and what was the impetus and how did you get going on on making it a, a more, I don't know, intentional project, right? I'm going to interrupt here just for a minute and tell you about an online course that I have. It's actually an audio course. It's called Intentional Fathering. It is an opportunity to sit in the privacy of your own car, of your own room of going on a walk at the gym, whatever it is, and hear a a deep dive exploration and participate in a deep dive exploration of your life as a father. It has educational moments. It has experiential moments. It has guided practices and meditations. It has contemplation questions. It is designed as you take it at your own pace and it is going to take you deep into your identity as a father and your choices and where you want to go. Part of it includes creating a family vision, which I just want to say in terms of being an intentional parent, an intentional partner, intentional father, having a vision of the future. How are you doing this? What are you working toward is absolutely critical. So check it out. Intentional fathering at dandody.com. Sure. The, the one, thank you. I, I really appreciate that. Um, so I'm a mediator and uh, I, I really do enjoy mediation and that's probably a whole nother story, but I just think that the power of bringing people together um, is, is, is really incredible. But I started out, uh, I cut my teeth doing child abuse and neglect mediation um, mm. in DC courts. And the reason that I held, that I kept to the vest for, for starting to do it is because remember I told you as a new parent, I was afraid yeah. and I wanted to know what monsters look like. You know, who uh, are these people who, who commit these, these heinous acts that we hear about kids? I want to be able to see them and identify them so that I can protect my kid. That was intentional. You, you, you like sought that. That's incredible. You sought that out. But the first thing that I realized, Dan, is that they look like any of us on a really bad day. Yeah. No, um, now, now, of course, there are circumstances that that are that are way different, but you know, when people are 
pushed and 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 stressed and and don't have a lot of alternatives um you can see a trail to how they could get in these situations you know mm-hmm. if it's three o'clock in the morning and i live in an apartment and i'm taking out the trash am i going to take my toddler downstairs with me and if my toddler rolls off the bed at while i'm out mm-hmm. you know so what i realized quickly is that there are no monsters there there are people and and there are people in subpar situations um that had terrible days and the kids a lot of times suffered from it or yeah. dealing with their monsters but but another experience was even more impactful um i call it the mediation that wasn't you know so typically in a in a child abuse or neglect uh mediation you have mom mom's attorney dad dad's attorney a guardian ad litem which is a latin term for like a a attorney who's just the interest of the child Uh, you have a social worker and then you have the the state or the assistant attorney general who represents whatever the the accusations or claims are Mm -hmm. so all these people are in a room and oftentimes it may not come as a surprise there's no father in the room Uh, on this particular day there were two fathers so there's mom's attorney no mom two dads and two separate dads attorneys. so we're in a packed room and i'm already processing you, you just talked about as a dad we kind of see the scene so i'm i'm taking it all in i, I mean and, and being a mediator you're very very thoughtful about where you put everyone you know who do you put closest to the door what parties do you put next to each other and so the dads took seats next to each other and and so i'm just kind of watching and we're milling around we haven't started and uh, normally a mediation is confidential, but I can talk about this one because it didn't happen. Got it. And, and one of the guys says, can, can I say something? And, you know, look around, sure. And he says, look, I'm not here to judge mom. Uh, his kids are welcome in my house. My kid is welcome at his house. And apparently there were several children involved. Um, and we're not, we're fine. He and I are fine. You don't have to convince us to be fathers, but what we're here to ask for are, are the programs and the skills so that we can do better at it. And, and it's like, wow, you know, for, forget what anybody thought this thing was gonna be about. The, the next hour was literally everybody pulling out cell phones and like thinking about, oh, I know this church, that has these services. I know this church, and it was, it was an amazing experience just watching a, a group of people with very different interests come together in yeah. support of, of these men who were open enough, honest enough, and 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 savvy enough um, to 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 speak on behalf uh, on their own behalf and on their children's behalf, and. As the mediator, the person who's supposed to preside and facilitate this conversation, I had the least to add. Mm-hmm. And, and so I walked out thinking, I gotta do more. You know, I, I have to do and how old was your daughter? Do- <clears throat> how old was your daughter? You'd been a dad for a yeah. while, or she was two or three. Okay. Yeah. And and so um Want- that story gives me the chills. Sorry to interrupt. It just gives me the chills, man. What what yeah. a what a moment. So imagine being in this room. And then room, yeah. it was a tiny room, you yeah. know. Um, and it was just amazing. And I just sat there um 
just watching these people work, right? You know, when, when do you see the attorney for one person working with the attorney general, you know, who, who, who would be prosecuting a case or, you know, the social worker and the, and the parent kind of leaning over and making sure they exchange numbers. And it was just- They became human is what I'm hearing is that they put their roles aside and they like rallied as humans. In exactly right. All the titles were stripped away. There were just a group of, of adults who, who saw these children's needs as central and, and each of them having a collective role uh, that could that could support it. And I, I don't know how that uh, I, I know how that's how that conversation went. I don't know how those guys went, but I, I did walked they away. did both. So the two dads, there was two dads, right? Yeah. Did, did they do you think I mean, and they both were asking for skills and support. Did they do you think they pregamed or did they come independently? to that conclusion. Do you have a so, sense? I got the sense that they, that they've been in communication. Okay. With yeah. Okay. Um, but I, I think that because both the, the kids were not infants and they yeah. were, yeah. they were, you know, and most of the programs, and, and this was even said, like most of the programs are about, you know, yeah. you should be a dad teaching people to be a dad. And this is how you change a diaper. It's like, yeah. okay, but now this kid's five. You know, or 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 my kid is out of diapers. What about that next stage? Yeah, and there are no services available. So I I, I yeah. left money to build something. So what I created um, ultimately was on father, which mm -hmm. was it was gonna it was supposed to be a, a resource hub, not charging for anything, yeah. uh, nothing to pay for, just a place where you could get ideas and resources, but also hear fathers tell their stories. The most important part in their words. You know, um, hearing people say their things and their words has has a an added impact. And if enough, and my, my idea was to get you know such a amount of, of varied stories that no matter what your circumstances are, yeah. right? You know, you may not see your kid as much, but you know, if if this veteran took books, uh, you know, when he was deployed, so that he could read via sat phone to his kid. Okay then you can figure it out on Skype, you know? Yeah. Um, if this other dad used um, drawing to break through to his autistic son, and these are real examples. Yeah. You know, just because your son or daughter learns differently from you doesn't mean that that has to be a wall between you two. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it was it, it was a labor of love, but and as you will learn, it's tough sometimes to get guys to tell their stories. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. it's really tough to get guys to write their stories. Um, yeah. and, and I think it's because, and going back to our initial conversation, we don't want to get it wrong. Like we so badly want to get it right that when we struggle, we're not, we're not so open with, with what our challenges were. You yeah. know, um, to break the ice, I used to tell um, guys that I learned that uh, warm water in her hair will put my daughter to sleep. Mm. And I said, I didn't learn about that because I'm awesome. I learned that because I was changing her on an incline and pee got in her hair. And then I had to wash her hair out and she fell asleep. And I was like, oh. <laughs> so, I mean, but only by doing these things, only by getting engaged, by trying, by, by, by not saying, okay, I'm going to do this one more time. Like, no, I'm going to do this all the more times it takes until I, one, learn not to change my baby on an incline. And two, if I do, um, here, here's something. That I, that I could do. And um, one of the things I would tell guys is 
you know, if, if we were competing in an athletic endeavor, I wouldn't tell you my tips and tricks mm -hmm. because that would give you a competitive advantage. But in parenting, I can share everything with you. Your home is your home. When you win, I win, you know, and, and vice versa. We can share our tips. I just had an idea I've never had before. <laughs> what if we make parenting competitive and get you get a score or something and maybe then dads would wake up and pay attention or i'm, I'm like because there's there's a right i mean there's a deep the deeper question here is to me you know this is what most dads say is the most important thing in their life right that at least the the small group of men that i've been working with right they they'll say it directly this is the most important thing in my life this is the thing and like like you said like these two dads asked for in that meeting you know skills and support is like there's the tiniest thin layer available right and it's just it's just i'm i'm starting to work on a book about this question in a sense and i hope to really engage with it but it's like I mean, there's an obvious gap, right? Like, okay, this is the most important thing. And yet you do nothing to get better at it. And you just, right. you just, you blindly bumble around in it. And yes, I mean, dads are, I, I'm not saying dads don't do a good job. I think they do, but there's a, there's a big, I, I don't you know. And, but, but if you translate it to sports, just like what you're saying, something with that gamification, they'll tell you about that time they had they were running uh, suicide drills in the rain or shooting, yeah. shooting baskets in the rain or playing football in you know, suboptimal temperatures. Uh, we had swim practice in the rain. Now, only if there was lightning could we get out yeah. there. You know, if we put that same type of commitment to fatherhood, it wouldn't be like, oh, I'm not good at having tough conversations, so I stopped. As opposed to, yeah, I couldn't make a free throw the first time, so I shot a thousand. <laughs> We would legitimately change the world too. I, I I believe, I mean, maybe again, maybe I'm dramatizing, but I don't think if dads literally in in scale somehow put the effort in to learn and and evolve and increase, like you're saying, like I I truly believe, I really do. I, I think I think that you know a father's impact is I think everybody knows how big it is, but particularly in a world where for all sorts of different reasons and all sorts of different scenarios, like fully engaged present fathers, it's not the, it hasn't been the norm, right? It it hasn't for all, I mean, maybe you don't have a dad or maybe dad was busy working or maybe dad was whatever. Uh, maybe dad was there, but he didn't know how to you know, do the things he didn't know how to not be shut down and not hide everything or what, whatever it is. Right. So, yeah, man, I mean, um, we should, this is, this is, I'm, I'm legitimately like really curious and piqued the interest. Like what would it take? What would it take to, 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 to like bring this to the front and center? Like what else the fuck are we going to do? Watch TV, yeah. you know, like play video games. Like what, what do we got going on? Really? In, in any action movie, there's that like that training montage where they get the music, and the person <laughs> like gets the skill. Like that would be fatherhood, you know. Yeah. This, this this diaper changing, this this helping helping kids with homework. Uh, it, Dude, that would be, actually be really great to do a video. I'm making that <laughs> no, really to do like a like a training montage video for yeah. father. Like that's rad. I love it. So what did you, so all right. 
so you obviously you had a good crew of dads around you 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 were doing the thing you saw this need right you saw this clear i mean i'm moved just hearing the story i'm guessing it was very moving to have these two dads say hey we're here we just we need more help and so you did so you leaned in like you leaned in and and what how did it go or how's it been going what have you learned what what else is what are you seeing out there yeah so it, it's been really good and and i think that i think more dads are coming around to the idea of doing it a little different mm-hmm. you know um i think that we are more we some of us are a little more honest with needing some outside help you know i remember if you've ever been to a wedding invariably particularly a wedding with liquor there's a group of guys standing by the bar they don't even know each other they can they can be from both sides but they find themselves and they're like elbowing each other and pointing at the groom and saying yeah he doesn't know what what's in store and and I always took offense to that because I'm like, why not tell him? Why not Why not put him in the center of the circle and say, hey, guy, this is a great day, great yeah. wedding, great booze, but here's some of the things that we want you to know or to be ready for. Yeah. And, and I think that we are being a little more open about the experience yeah. um, and creative. You know, when we started the podcast and Something that people don't know is the two guys I started a podcast with, I won't say were strangers, but I met them each one time. Right. And I, I met them separately and I invited them to breakfast. And so the three of us are at breakfast and I, I put a deck of cards at one of I, I asked them, I said, take the Bible off the table or whatever your religious text is. I said, what's the greatest teaching tool? Um, cost, cost, cost being a factor that you have, um, you know, for, to teach, that a father has at his disposal. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they, they spitball different ideas. And I said, I submit to you mine, a deck of cards. And I, and I put it in the middle. And I said, let's talk about all the things that we could teach our kid with a deck of cards. Memory games, counting games, um, then lessons, right? You know how to talk shit. You know how to, how to hear people talk shit and be okay. Work on your poker face. Know when to walk away. You know, um, strategy, um, knowing, knowing how to keep a straight face, learning learning your lesson and applying it forward. Um, there's a billion things that can be taught with a deck of cards, but it's, but it's just a deck of cards, yeah. right? Yeah. It's not until that father with that creativity picks this thing up and says, yo, I can show my kid all sorts of things. I said, and that, that same lesson can be taught with a stick, with a book, with, you know, with with some scraps that 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 have been recycled. And I and I said to them, let's bring that same energy that we just had to this round table about this deck of cards to fatherhood. Yeah. And let's just talk about anything that comes across during the podcast. And it was the three of us were from three different perspectives. Each of us were black dads, but one was married to a, a woman who was Indian. And so their their child, their children were growing up Christian and Muslim. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and at the time was an infant. Uh, another uh, they homeschooled their their kids, yeah, and I was yeah. a single dad. Um, one guy was from the Midwest, one guy was from the East Coast, I was from the West Coast. Um, different educational experiences. So I was like, you know, we we look alike, but we bring a lot of different values and a lot of different approaches. Mm-hmm. Um, one, some had challenging uh, interactions with their dads. 
I didn't have any. And and so I, I would love to talk about it in the open. Um, and so we did that. And we, it was tough because, mm-hmm. you know, some of that stuff, when you open the door, you don't exactly know everything that's going to come out. Um, and sometimes, you know, it's easier for me as a single dad to talk about my dating experience than it is for the guy who has to sleep next to his wife after he <laughs> said, well, let me tell you about such and such, you know? So it, it had its intrinsic uh, challenges, but the idea of just talking and, and just sharing the experiences, I think um, is a lot more welcome than it ha- than it would have been 10 years ago because other people would have been like, yeah, I don't, I'm not trying to hear all that. But have you, have you ever sat in a men's group or are you familiar with, with, you know, formal men's groups, mankind project or thing? Have you done, have you experienced any of that? I've done some, not, um, so I've done one day workshops Yeah. and I've done long-term mentoring programs with, with younger boys. I've never had an ongoing men's group, Yeah. Uh, but, but in those, in those one day workshops, I think the first hour is usually just kind of looking around. You know, every, everybody's waiting for somebody to break the ice and they know it's not going to be them. Yeah. And so, but yeah, I, I know that that's the work you do and I'm, I'm, I'm interested in it. Yeah, yeah. I guess, you know, the reason I ask is just to name, um, I mean, what I admire a lot, right? Which is which is just getting conversations going and have a place to men, for men to, to speak, honestly, right? Just to sort of actually have conversations, which I think is one of the first steps, you know, I, um, I got my path into all this stuff, you know, my sort of young years were working with um, kids who were sent away from home, uh, both therapeutic and correctional facilities. And, um, you know, something you said earlier about, uh, you know, the you you were afraid, so you wanted to see what the monsters look like, or you wanted to get an actual look. You know, what I quickly learned in that first part of my career was that, you know, I were I was working with these kids who were labeled monsters, right? Who are the addicts and the and the violent ones and all these things. And um there was only one out of hundreds or thousands that um that that it wasn't completely immediately obvious that they were, you know, amazing humans and just had really hard circumstances and you know, whatever the reason. So I, I share that with you, like that, that, that thing I saw early in my adult life. And, um, you know, I, I, I got lucky because I didn't know how to talk. I didn't, I didn't like, that wasn't natural to me, but being in that scenario of working with these young people, I facilitated conversations that were honest and open. Right. And so I got a taste of that, but then I didn't, I didn't ever do it myself. Right? Like I just, like it was my job. Uh, but then when I was in my later twenties, I was living in, so living in the Bronx, I was living in the Bronx and um, I don't know, I had a huge kind of breakdown in my life. And I, and I stumbled, I got invited into a men's group and man, it was so, it was so revolutionary for me as, as a, as a young man, like um, for no other reason other than just simply having a space where men were honest like you said at the at the at the weddings right it's like yeah why the hell are we not just saying it to like like there's literally no reason anymore i get it like maybe in the past like the male culture right we had to we had to be sort of whatever whatever however we want to think about that or talk about that but but it is 
it really has been kind of my life's work in a sense is like, we just need to have those conversations because it makes everything, it brings so much goodness, not only to ourselves, but to everyone around us. It, like to me, it literally feels like our responsibility at this point in time to break that pattern, right? So, I mean, it's really, it, the the wedding thing's interesting. One of my best buddies, he lives in DC. Um, um, I should introduce you guys. I think you'd like each other. Uh, but you know, I went down to his wedding and it was, you know, and his name's Adam and he had done some of this men's work stuff with me before. So he was like open to it, but I like led a, I led a, um, uh, what do they call it? Right. Like all the guys get together the night before. I don't know. Yeah, I guess so. Like, yeah, but it was like the night before the wedding, but there's like 30 guys. Right. And, and I, I'm like, yeah, we're just, we're going to have at it. We're all going to say our honest truth, our honest, you know, advice or feedback or just feelings. And, um, you know, it was partially great and partially really awkward. Right. Because yeah, it's, it is tough because those guys weren't showing up for that. Right. So in the men's group area, people show up, they're like, they might be scared of it, but they're like, I mean, I know what I'm getting to at least a little bit here, but, um, yeah. Anyway, my the last thing I'll say here is my sense and my hope is that, um, you know, a lot of my life's work has been about getting guys to start talking. But I think that once you become a dad and you have that little child that you love more than anything in the world, I feel like it's a, a it's leverageable. I feel like if there's any point that a dude's going to open up and try something different on, I feel like that's the time to do it, you know. You, you said so many things that resonate. Um, for those guys in that circle for whom it was awkward, it's a muscle, but it's not one that they've exercised very much. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. there. Um, it's like one of those little muscles in my feet whenever I roller skate and I go home and I'm like, I feel like I've been standing on a rebar. Like, yeah, yeah that this is how it feels when you're exercising a muscle that that, that hasn't been given the attention. Um, you mentioned we're asking things that we're not doing. When I ran my mentoring program, I ran a mentoring program here in DC for nine years. And one of the one of the activities that they would do, one of the workshops that we would do that I inherited and didn't like the idea, but they decided to keep doing it was writing a letter to their fathers. Yeah. And 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 I I admit that I came to it from my perspective. I don't think that's a good idea. I don't think. It was an amazing experience hearing these boys who most of them, I'd say if we had 20 boys, 19 didn't live with their fathers. Mm. Um, to hear the way they opened up and the way they shared just with the idea of writing to their dad. In some cases, their father was no longer alive, but, but the way that they opened up. So when I, be, when I knew that I was gonna become a father, um, I had an opportunity um, to do some work in Detroit. Um, I never go to Michigan, but that happens to be where my father lives. And we don't have a relationship, good, bad, or, or whatever. It's just no relationship. Um, but I wanted to make sure as I create space in my heart for this, for, for Ella, mm -hmm. um, who ironically is named after my father's mother, um, mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure that I that my emotional plate wasn't full with with junk and yeah. residue 
from from this relationship that never existed. Yeah. And so, uh, I took the opportunity. I went to Detroit, and I was working an election. And I said, I reached out to him. I said, I'm going to be in town for eight days. The only day that I'm not available is uh, Tuesday of the election. I got to work the polls. And he said, oh, yeah, we can have barbecue. We can have all these, these major things and this and this. Have you? I said, all of that is great. And I'm game for all of that. But our first interaction, let's just meet at a coffee shop. Let's just talk. He said, ah, I'm not really one for talking. Mm-hmm. And so I said, that, that's fine. This is, this is when I'm in town. I'll let you know when I got to town. He said, I'm only available on Tuesday, the election. Mm-hmm. And so um, I reached out a couple more times during the week and was never uh, available. And he has other children. And so um, my siblings and I, they came, we met, we had, uh, we had dinner and everything was great. And I get a text message during, uh, during dinner saying, have a nice life. And I was struck. It, it, it wasn't painful. Like, I can't imagine someone who grew up with their father probably couldn't imagine their father saying that. Right. But this was a stranger telling me that. And it had that effect in which it just said to me, well, there's no more space on this plate that is, that is reserved or yeah. that. So I, can, I know that I can fill it. Uh, with love for my kid, I don't have to look over my shoulder. I don't have to take this other this other person or perspective into consideration. And I can just focus forward. But had I not done that exercise with those boys, yeah. where we asked them to, you know, what would you say to your father? What would you write? Had had I not engaged myself in in, in that work, I don't. I wouldn't have had the courage. Yeah. And, so, and so I think part of bringing it back to fatherhood is is having the courage to learn in both directions. You know, you learn experientially, you learn from people advising you, but you might also learn from the kid too, you know, and you should- Hugely, hugely. I, um, I, I, uh, I, how do I ask this question? So it's clear how, how passionate you are about being a dad and how much love you have and how in. I'm just from that standpoint um, and, you know, share as much as you are willing and okay. Like I don't want to push too hard, but like when you see a man like your father who, who just has fully pulled out, I'm just curious. How do you square that? It's, it's hard for me. Like I like, it's hard for me to imagine having these little ones and I'm, I'm not totally, um, it's not like I can't ma- imagine it all. I, I could imagine it. Right. But, but how do you, how do you make sense of it? You know, if I'd had interactions with my father as a kid and then he disappeared, mm-hmm. I might believe it was about me and that would be a struggle. It would be hard not to, you know, kids yeah. tend to think yeah. of the universe. So if something happens, um, you know, I used to think the weather changed because I prayed for sun so I could ride my bike. But since I never had that interaction with him, it was always clear that this was about him, yeah. you know, and um, it is sad. Um, it 
I, and and I I try to establish relationships with my siblings on the other side, but it's tough because that's mm -hmm. their dad. And they love them, and I certainly don't begrudge them for for any of their experience. But we grew up in two separate worlds, and and so the the best I could do is uh, try to convince myself that he's missing out. Yeah, and 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 moving forward, but it's tough with my daughter because she asks questions you yeah. know she comes home and says hey i'm doing this family tree exercise and half the tree is 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 left out you know and 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 filling in those blanks and having those hard conversations um but at at the end of the day i i think that well i know that a relationship with him would not have been a safe one uh, for me growing up um, as an adult. You know, just just that kind of interaction and that kind of manipulation from adult to adult. Yeah, I don't know if I would have been equipped to handle as a child, and and I certainly wouldn't want to make space for two versions of the truth to my daughter if they were to have a relationship. So, I'm, I am okay with just kind of cutting that limb off and cauterizing the wound yeah uh, but it is tough it, it, it is tough because I, I see kids who yearn for that connection and i see kids who had that connection lose that connection and, and my heart goes out to them um my experience was just very different because i didn't know what to start with yeah i mean you're a shining example of of what what you might call a chain breaker right that's a that's a term people will use and you know, I think for some dads, you know, you're think they're thinking about, well, my dad was just, you know, how can I do, how can I do my part? How can I do slightly better this generation than the last generation? I mean, you've, you've obviously, so again, if there's a competition for being a good dad, you'd probably be pretty high up there, right? Cause you think, <laughs> cause you started, uh, you started out with, without a role model. So I'm curious, how did you, did you have other father figures or role models or, did you did you just have to like bring this dad thing from the scratch all the way on your own? I'm I'm curious what yeah. how did you piece together a sense of it. No, I, I really appreciate that question because it allows me to spotlight something that I like to talk about. Um, growing up, I, I I had two really good friends, um, Brian and Saladin, and um, Brian's dad. When he came home from work. Nobody else can be in the house, just him and his family. Mm -hmm. he, was, he was very private about fatherhood. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know what his dad was like. I, I saw him at the door on, on my way out. My friend Saladin's dad was what I've grown to call a public dad. He mm -hmm. was the father to everybody on the block. Yeah. You know, some kid needs advice about something. And, and he, you know, he, he worked he had his own contracting business. So I know he worked long hours and I know he worked hard, but he was always willing to, to share, to be open. His home was open. Um, that family was Muslim. And I learned a lot just by attending a family barbecue. And this man at his house, at his barbecue, blessed the food in a way that didn't alienate anyone who was in attendance. The food that he bought, that he has a right to say whatever he wants over it. Yeah. And and I I had, you know, my, my family's Christian. And 
I've heard what they said about people who didn't believe the same thing or who didn't believe it or didn't operate in the same way. Hmm. But I see this man, you know, this man who I can go to for advice, who will share, who's open, who's loving. Um, so it, it taught me a lot about the value of being a public dad, which is one of the reasons why I'm so willing to share. Oh, cool. Um, because, because there's somebody who doesn't have it at home who can learn from it. You know, there, there's somebody who can pick something up, right or wrong. You might say, look, I'm never going to do it like Dina, but I'm glad I saw it because I would have made that mistake. Um, but, but I, I want to share a, another short story if I can. Please. Um, this is my daughter's godfather, my former boss. Um, this was when my daughter was four. She was at pre-K four, pre-K pre three or four, and she needed school uniforms at, at her school. And I was complaining because we're co-parenting at this time about her mom not doing her share or her part. Mm -hmm. uh, when you said that, it, it, it triggered this memory. And so, you know, I, I outlined to him, I did my part, I did this, I did this, I did this. And he said, so do you think it's your, what do you think will happen when you send your daughter to school with shirts and no bottoms or, or shoes with no socks? He said, it is not, your responsibility to do your part for your daughter. It's your responsibility to make sure your child has everything she needs. He said, now, that may mean that she only has one school outfit. You know, if you can only afford two, if you guys put your money together and you can only afford one, that might mean she has one, but she has 100% of what she needs. And if you got to wash it every night, so be it. He said, and I hope that her mom, and I would tell her the same thing, understands that her part is to make sure that her daughter has everything she needs so that these two households will each have 100% of what they need. But this idea of you only having a part, he says, yeah. you, gotta, you, gotta, you gotta shake yourself from that because there's no telling what she's getting anywhere else. She has yeah. to be able to get all of her needs met in your home. And, and I think that's incredibly important for a man to, to tell another man about a girl. Yep. You know, because yeah. there's a lot of stuff that we will outsource to mom or that mom will outsource to us about boys. And maybe <clears throat> maybe it's most appropriate in, in yep. a given situation, but maybe appropriate is out the window. And this is a story we got to have now. You know, yep. if you're co-parenting and your kid comes home because they got beat by the bully, it may not be convenient to call the other parent, yep. you know, or if they, you know, if, if they are, if their knee is scratched up, you know, maybe maybe the parent who normally does the bandaging is is not available. You got to be able to do it all. Now it might not be as <laughs> it might not be as clean a bandage. It may not be as well done. Um, the advice the advice might not be perfect. Yeah. But but I think a willingness to step in there completely has 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 got to be there, or, or or at least we should consider it. I, I don't want to say that my way is the best way, but yeah. For me, I wanted to be able to meet all of my daughter's needs, even if poorly. <laughs> you know, you can't get an A yeah. on that, but but I'm here for all of them. <laughs> yeah, man, I love that. I um, yeah, one of the exercises I I I do with dads is it's you actually create like a needs map, right? You like literally put down all the people in the family, and you list out like what are core needs that are that are getting met or not getting met, and it's like very simple, right? Like you isolate things that that may or may not be getting met, and you meet them, right? I, I, I do think that 
obviously it's not just the dad's job, you know, it's the parenting <clears throat> team's job for sure. But I do think that there's something, um, at least for me that, you know, for a dad to have his eyes on that intentionally, it feels really, really important and really helpful, you know, and, and, and really critical. Right. I mean, we have, I mean, life is freaking complicated, right. And messy and there's nothing's ever perfect. Right. But I think, you know, so for example, right now, if I were to do one, like my kids, I don't know, I think our baby's needs are pretty fully met. Um, my oldest kid though is, uh, again, mostly met, but there's something socially or there, there's like a friendship or something that's not quite there. So it's something I should, you know, my wife and I do talk about it, but but that's just an example. Like, you know, I like to go through the family and be like, all right, what's what's the what's not actually I had never thought to actually pull out Maslow's hierarchy, but man, why not? Right. Yeah. I mean, that's that's so simple and so obviously true and real. Um most important thing to us. Yeah. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. You know, hey, I, I have a, oh, go ahead. I was just gonna give you a quick example. Um some of my daughter's of that age, she's transitioning and into being an older girl. And, you know, I told her, I was like, look, I know you don't want to talk about your period with me, and that's fine. I want you to know that if you ever, that, that, that I have your supplies in my glove compartment of my car. Mm -hmm. If we're ever out and you need me to get anything, don't, like, just, just give me the sign, right? Yeah. Like, like yeah. you don't have to suffer, you know? And, 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 to the, if you don't want to have the conversation, fine. But I want you to know where, where, where your resources are and that I will never shame you and that anything you need, it's a drop everything and get you what you need scenario. And if that's the only conversation we ever have, I, feel, I still think that's, that's ways further than, than, we've, than we may have had a generation ago. T totally, right? And so, I mean, that's amazing. So we were talking a minute ago about normalizing dads talking to other dads and just being yeah. honest, but, but you're highlighting there, normalizing fathers having full, honest conversations with their kids, right. Being willing to, and that's part of what a lot of my work has been is, is like, like you said earlier, it's a muscle. Like it's not actually that big a deal to talk about sex or to talk about menstruation or to talk about, whatever race, but whatever it is, right? It's like, it's Life. like, it's possible. Not only is it possible, it makes things better. And so there is this thing just for dads and men in general, which is like, come on guys. Like, I know it's uncomfortable, but what's a little discomfort? Like, really? Like what's yeah. discomfort? It's totally like, you're fine, man. <laughs> you know? It's like the first time you go to a museum and you see the naked statue and you laugh and you give me like, and then somebody's like, grow up. <laughs> like yeah. you're like okay it's a yeah. human statue let's move yeah. on yeah totally so some of these conversations are like okay yeah not the most not the easiest topic but what's the alternative your kid not having like the confidence in your ability is that what you want yeah yeah totally that's i mean that's one of the things i just i dig about fatherhood so much is it's not about us it, it, it can't be about us anymore right our hang-ups can't be the thing i mean they do right i'm not saying we're perfect but but they shouldn't, they don't need to be, right? I have a really big question, a personal question I wanna ask you, um, which is, you know, one of the things that I've been, I don't know, paying attention to, one, something that, that seems apparent to me 
is that this generation right now, our moment in time of dads, you and I, it seems like um, it seems like there's something changing and there's an opportunity, right? And and what seems to be changing, what I've noticed is that, um, or here's what I say. Here's what I say is that men, the job description for dad has is evolving pretty rapidly. It's not just making money and and just you know fill in the gas tank anymore like dads are being asked to be more present to be more connected to be more relational um but the, but the vulnerable question i want to ask you is um you know men's work and the work that i do is primarily affluent white dudes just to be really honest about it right and so i'm catching myself saying these things like fatherhood is changing and all of this stuff and I think I need to be more specific. Like it seems like from my purview, and it's not obviously it's not just white dudes, right? It's it's there's there's a good mix, but but I would say primarily it is. And so I am curious if I am speaking what might be more like because like I I'm not plugged fully into the Latino dad community. I'm not plugged fully into the black dad community or the Muslim dad community. I'm just not. I would love to be more. So I'm just curious about that statement. Do you see from your perspective in your world, do you see a shift of expectation happening for dads? Yeah, I do. Um, growing up, like I told you, the, my friend, Mr. Mr. Muhammad, uh, my friend's dad, was the public dad to the kids on the block. That tells you something about the families on the block. You know, there weren't, a lot of dads in the houses, in the homes of those kids. And so I don't know uh, a dad um, from, from my friend group or even in my, you know, further out Ripley that isn't actively involved or trying yeah. with, with their kid. And then I really, really appreciate that because it's not just like, cause there's this other part, right? The other thing is there's a lot of single moms who are married. We're like, yeah, you're in the house. But are you raising your kid? Like, does your kid know you? Does your um, yeah. like you? Because the answer is no. But yeah. do, do, do they know you? You know, and I think that dads are retooling and recertifying, you know, to use yeah. the word analogy. Like, it used to be, I'm a dad and this is how I'm going to be in forever. But now it's one of those jobs where you got to recertify every year. You got to, yeah. you know, you got to, okay, that's what you did. Yeah. Last year. That now your skill set is going to have to, to yeah. bump. And I think more dads are, are willing to, to do that. At least it appears that way. Yeah. Uh, and, and it, that's, it's really welcome. Um, you know, there's, there are a lot of myths uh, about black fatherhood. Um, and when I won't say myths, there's a lot of images, at least there were when I grew up of what it looked like and what it wasn't. And one of the things that I, that I told myself and we talked about when we were deciding on the podcast is, I'm not about the business of exploding myths, right? Yeah. I'm not going to convince you that I am what I am. I'm just going to be who I am, right? Because if I got to be it and convince you, that's just too much work. I'd rather be it and love my kid. And and so I think that, um, but there are still times when I, I can remember being out with my daughter when um, I'm taking her to the bathroom and a woman will say, oh, I'll do it. Like, I don't even know you, lady. Like, why <laughs> would I let you? Uh, like, and I appreciate this thing that's going on in your mind, which is you're helping a dad. But 
I got it, right? Yeah, you yeah. wouldn't you wouldn't give your son if you were a woman to a man to take to the bathroom. And and so one time, and I, I got to admit, I was being petty. It, it was at church too. Um, a woman said, oh, well, I'll take her. I said, okay, I'll hold your purse. And she says, I don't need you to do that. I said, you wouldn't trust me with your purse, but you're asking me to trust you with my daughter. Yeah. And now we have this stare off and it's awkward, but I said, thank you anyway, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that, that we are leaning in um, in a way that we may not have before. Yeah. And 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 I like it, you know, because it, 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 I want my my daughter to see that when and if um, what her expectations should be like now nah, you um, or she might decide she wants something totally different, which is fine, too. But I but I want her to see me fully engaged in every aspect of her life every year. When she's in school, I introduce myself to her teacher and I say, wherever my daughter is, I am. Right? I'm not there every moment, but there's no space of her life where I'm not woke. And so, you know, in ballet, I'm the guy who's working the curtains, even if <laughs> even if I've never worked a curtain before. And that's a true story. Um, but yeah, I, I think we're getting in, engaged and involved in a way that we may have been too guarded over what we look like as a man or as a father to do in the past? Uh, this is just one of the biggest, this is like one of the questions I'm most fascinated with, man. What, what I'm just curious to hear more of what you've seen or what you, your, what your opinions are, like, what do you think has happened from last generation to this generation? Like, what, the, I agree. I do think there's a leaning in. I think that's a great way to say it. I, th I think there's like a general societal leaning in. Um, and I, I just want to, you know, help encourage it. I also want to call it out too. I want to be, you know, I want your, your uh, phrase public dad really resonates with me. I think yeah. that's, uh, you know, I'm not advocating that we all have to be Instagram dads or anything, but, but even in the, in the community, right. Like you're talking about like locally, like just, you know, what's crazy, man. We moved, uh, we were living in California and in the middle of the pandemic, we freaked out and we moved uh, to where my wife's grandmothers were from here in Maine and I like I we landed in this little community of uh, man there's some badass dads here just just like super yeah. super in you know just you know you go to a, like a kid's birthday and you see like eight dads just like totally engaged in there it's just like well fuck yeah man I hope people know about this you know I, I hope people are seeing this I think we're redefining everything you know we're redefining what family looks like we're redefining what our relationships look like we're, we're redefining what our sense of self looks like you know and, and i think we are opening ourselves to 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 changing and not being fixed you know that this fixed state when, when i think of my uncles growing up my my grandmother's brother and my great uncles they were fixed states you know yep. they were pillars they were but i can't say that they yeah. changed much from beginning to end you know, um, and they're, you know, they're great, but I don't want to be a fixed state. You know, I, I want to show my daughter different things. You know, I want to see her. I'll give you an example. Um, I date and <laughs> I date unsuccessfully sometimes. <laughs> and, and I have appropriate, but open conversations with my daughter about it. You know, um, I was in a relationship for two years. She got to know the woman and we ultimately, you know, we went as far as we could together. 
and, and I told my daughter, I was like, I tried them, really liked her, but it, it didn't work. Um, because I don't want my daughter to think that if there's a relationship or a friendship or uh, a connection that doesn't work for her, yeah. that she has to stay there. And I want her to identify her needs and to be able to work towards them. Um, and I, I think in the past, we did everything kind of secretly. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, somebody will say, well, I never saw my mom date. Yeah, well, that's not healthy for your mom. That's not healthy for you. <laughs> yeah. um, some guy is probably sneaking around somewhere like that. That didn't really work for anybody. I think if we're if we're willing to have fewer of the because I said so conversations yeah. and let me explain <clears throat> conversations, um, one, it shows us where we have some space to grow. Um, because you know kids will keep us accountable <laughs> yeah right but but also it it shows them a fuller version of us and i yeah. i don't want my daughter to think that she has to give a hundred percent of herself to anybody even her own child right mm-hmm. you gotta save some of yourself for you for your interests um so that you can continue to be whatever you are to to all the people that you are man you like <clears throat> I don't know. You're you're the language used for this stuff really really sticks for me, right? The the, the accountability part. You're thinking in generational terms, right? Cuz cuz that is I I think one of the greatest gifts of parenthood is that I mean it's just built in accountability, right? Our our successes and failures are immediately you watch them be absor- absorbed into your child's world, right? And but it's interesting cuz I think that on that specific note you know, a generation ago or two generations ago, I don't think it worked that way. I, you know, at least it wasn't honest, right? So, so maybe, you know, maybe kid would come home from school and <clears throat> dad or mom would have done something, made a mistake. And, but I think that more like rigid, like you said, fixed state, fixed state or rigid, or I'm the, I'm the freaking boss here, or, you know, like I'm in charge and, yeah, man, <clears throat> you really opened up a, a clear way to think about it for me where we are now because everything's in sort of evolution or flux. We're, we're, we're showing our kids our humanity, right? And, and that's a big deal. That's a huge deal, right? We can still be obviously the parent and in charge, but we're, we're, not to, we're not trying to pretend that at least trying to not pretend. Yeah. And it, and showing them our humanity, we're giving them the tools and the license and the space to develop their own. Yeah. You know, because kids, their ideas are often fresher, less like saddled down with all the nose and the and the, the red tape of life. And so, you know, I remember growing up, if I said I had a headache, you know, there were all those kidisms, kids are seen and not heard. One of my family was kids, give headaches, they don't get headaches. And, and you know, that's a really clever turn of words. That's serious, right? Like, yeah. like yeah. somebody could have a real debilitating issue and they could be alerting you of that. So I, I think hearing our kids in a different way yeah. and allowing our kids to show up and be seen and be heard. Now, you know, there's levels to everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think that Kids will try on behaviors that will test and push boundaries. And, you know, I think our responsibility is to show them where the boundaries are and to hold some of them fast, but to also question ourselves, like, why is that boundary there? I get into it all the time. Um, 
because I asked one of my, my friends, I said, why is your first name off limits to your child? And he's like, because of, I was like, no, but I get it. I get it. My kid doesn't yeah. call me by my first name, but really ask yourself, yeah. why is your first name that was given to you by a person yeah. who loves you, yeah. is that off limits to your child? Yeah. And what's, <laughs> and what's, what your child gets to call you is something generic that they didn't even come up with. That's not- <laughs> It is kind of weird when you put it that way. Yeah. It's weird, right? And I don't know the answer, <clears throat> but, but I think sometimes we get stuck in some of these things, yeah. these ways that we operate where kids, they're brand new. They're like, well, why? Yeah. You know, well, why? And, and we don't like having our whys question, but sometimes maybe we should. Yeah. Amen to that. All right, so here's what I would love to do for the last little chunk. So let's you and I brainstorm that say that that we came into resources, substantial, maybe not unlimited. Yeah, let's just say unlimited or um, a, a huge amount of resources yeah. to construct something to support fatherhood, blank, full, fully. And, yeah. you know, a couple things that came up here really hit me, right? So. Um, I mean, first of all, the, you know, the, the video, the training montage, I really loved the encouragement of dads kind of being more public with their role. But then, you know, what stuck out to me, and I don't know that I actually think that this would be a formally this way, but you said like, you need to recertify each year, you need to re-up. That got my head spinning too. I'm like, kind of like, why not? What, like, what, what if there was a, a standardized fatherhood training, or what if there was? And um, so, yeah, we don't have to take the bait on any of that. But if let's just have a conversation for the remaining time. If we if we were going to put yeah. something in place for the world, what would it be? So, in my neighborhood, um, there's about a mile walk to the train station. And a couple blocks from the train station is an old theater. And think, think like an old movie house, but it was yeah. a playhouse. Yeah. And I was thinking, wow, what, what, if, what if there was like father-kid theater productions, right? So like you're building sets, you are working on the marketing, there's, there's the crew, there's, there's, there's singing, there's dancing, whatever. Like all the skills, whether you have Hard skills, soft skills, technical skills, yeah, um, entrepreneurial skills. Like this is this is just this little microcosm that that churns it out. Uh, when I, I read something that said that it talked about the impact of of fathers particularly singing with singing and, and reading to young kids. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know the impact, but some kind of way it just yeah. like engages the brain. And so I was just thinking that that theater would have that opportunity, but all those other auxiliary skills, right? Life skills, um, managing the, the production. And I think it would be amazing. And then it would give communities an opportunity to support that work. You know, I, I, I think- I love that. And, and it also has like a million rippled out effects. Now you have a greater ownership of this community and this community theater. So now we're now we're picking up trash and making sure that it's clean. Now we're hey, don't write on that wall. This is our theater. You know, this is this is yeah. our thing. But but I think, and it could be different for each community. But but I think these these small little incubators 
that yeah. that allow that allow projects. You know, maybe it's a podcast with with a a, yeah. a kid and and their dad, or maybe it's you know uh, some kind of competition over you know science stuff, egg drops even. You know, but but just kind of hands on. I think hands on is important for whatever yeah. reason. Maybe that's my. <laughs> But I, I love the idea of hands-on and even being outdoors, right? Like now we have to build shelter. Now we have to figure out what this week is gonna look like, figure out what our food looks like. Just the idea of a safe space that is protective, but also that encourages the building, um, I think would be exciting. It could yield all kinds of uh, results that, that are both intentional and some unintended uh, positive impacts as well. Yeah, that's crazy, Rich, man. I mean, I'm with you with the hands-on thing, right? That that uh, the the start of my career when I worked with kids, specifically in adolescence, like I mean, that was the kicker, right? Like, you wanna you wanna build trust and a relationship with the kid, like go play a game for an hour, right? Yeah. Or go for a hike for an hour, whatever. It just it works, right? Yeah, I, I love that. It's it's interesting enough. My uh, I got a text from uh, a buddy whose seven year old got cast in a play locally here but his he's not up for it. the kid is he's kind of he's saying i can't I, I'm, I can't really do this i don't want to do this so he texted to see if my son my oldest son might be interested in the role it's just like six lines or something and um as you said that i'm like well yeah maybe i could maybe i go pull curtains or maybe i could do something as part of the i've never been part of a product that's nothing i've ever done before i think i've wanted to and um yeah, man. So the other thing that came out of that, which I think is a big deal, is, uh, you know, so I've been bringing dads together. And one of their biggest requests is, um, how do we get together as dads with our kids? Like, like what are some community ac activities? Because one thing that I mean, there's just it's it's so rich, but right. So it's it's important for dads to be able to talk together. But there's this other beautiful thing which you kind of referenced talking about your your friends dads when you were a kid but you know some of the times that i'm the most fulfilled is when my close friends are around and my kids are hanging out with them right and they're getting that cross-pollination of other dads of other men it's like so obviously healthy it's so obviously necessary and i think the more things we could do to create those conditions are it's so obviously beneficial I, I tell my friends who aren't parents, like the biggest gift that you could be is the ima the magical adult in some kid's life, right? Yeah. When you go out of the country, bring change, right? Bring bring change and give it to the kid, or send a postcard with a with a stamp from Singapore. Like it doesn't have to be. You don't have to do magic tricks, but just sometimes parenting is is dealing with the A to B, the, the day to day to day to day. But just having someone who comes and expands that kid's uh, perspective on a thing can be amazing, you know, and, and it's a gift to the parent as well. Just like, it, like you were saying, it's, it's a, it's really, really appreciated. Yeah, man. Oh man. I think we could talk for days and I would get a lot out of it. Um, but let's, Thank let's each take what, what, yeah. What, what are some takeaways or some closeout? What are you, uh, what are you feeling after a 80 minute chat? You, you know what? Uh, I need to recertify. You know, like I told you, <laughs> that, that's been my challenge, right? I am, yeah. my, my daughter, we recently got her a cell phone. Uh, <laughs> and and so I called her and uh, she sent me the voicemail. And I'm like, 
the phone I bought that I paid the bill, how am I? And, and I see myself slipping into like TV dad mode. And and I I, I yeah. want to make sure that I'm being more thoughtful, that I that I'm that I'm following my own advice and kind of recertifying and saying, hey, who's the dad that she needs right now? I know what I want to bring, and the love is not a question. Yeah. What's the best avenue? To, to 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 be that and to give that so i don't you know shut her off just by my approach yeah i love it um i'm pulling away I, i'm pulling away a lot man this is this is really um i don't know enlightening for me you put on one of your um instagram pages are you did you say wild idea farmer or what, yeah. What's yeah yeah you got a bright like brilliant creativity to you, man. That just, I, and a clarity of, of how you talk about things. I, I feel really, I don't know. I'm just really excited to know you more. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe there's, maybe there's some potential future collabs or, you know, I don't know. This was, this was really wonderful. And, and it's, yeah, it's just really affirming and heartwarming to, to hang with another dad. That's so obviously, you know, there's a lot of alignment here. So I just really appreciate you. Yeah, no, and I, I appreciate you for doing the work. It's uh, it's it's tough, and and even passion projects still take work and sweat yeah. and, and energy. And um, your work is not going unnoticed or unappreciated. So I, I I'm thankful to be here and to share with you. Uh, thanks, man. Thanks for being a guest. Absolutely. Thanks to Didon for being here. Thanks to everybody for listening. You're all wonderful. And please share this, please give the ratings, please do the reviews, do the things, help me share and pass on this message. And we are building a movement and a community of fathers. You're all welcome. Thank you very much.